The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I am so excited to have a dear friend of mine on the podcast today, J.D. Deitch. He is the Chief Revenue Officer of P2Sample. Welcome, J.D. Hi, Seema. It's great to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. It's a beautiful sunny spring day in Paris. It's the beginning of your day. It's the end of my day and it's going into a long weekend. What's, what's not to like? Yeah, that's fantastic. Springtime in Paris, right? Mm-hmm. J.D., we've known each other for a long time, and you're currently at P2Sample doing something probably different from what you've done in the past from being chief, being very involved in research and analytics, and now really managing all of the revenue function at P2Sample. How do you make that transition? Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't a quick one, that's for sure. <laughs> um, it, was, it was something actually, as part of my, when I was with the NPD group, this is about 10 years ago, Right. I had moved to Europe and we were working on a number of big projects in Europe and we had wanted to start up an analytics function. And it was around that time that um, as part of the European Management Committee, I was exposed to a lot of the business aspects of the business. And I found that fascinating because it truly is interesting to understand how insights businesses function. And it was kind of an interesting journey from there. After I left NPD, I ended up in a, a great sort of transitional role. I mean, I, I'd been working in sort of the kitchen of research, if you will, behind the scenes, um, doing the methodology pieces, right. helping build surveys and things like that. But when I moved to Ipsos, I became responsible for all of Ipsos's North American panel and sampling operations. So, you know, there was implicitly a research element to that. But it was very much how to get the business done, deliver good outcomes for clients, but also manage a, a huge budget as well. Um, and, and that was sort of the, the stepping stone for me. I got really interested in that and managed to parlay that into a couple of different later steps. And now coming to, to P2Sample, I suppose ultimately, you know, this is probably the second time that I've been responsible for overall, uh, an overall revenue function. And, you know, for me, I think a lot of what plays into it is that I actually do know how the business operates. I've had plenty of time in front of clients knowing what they want and been able to kind of express that into things like marketing strategy to help to help our sales and business development teams grow and, and really to, to try to lead in, in the front of the house now, again, to use that same analogy. That makes perfect sense. And I think it is so important in our industry, in the sample side of the industry, that leaders understand, you know, the, the research process and how ultimately sample fits into it and the importance of how we do things from a methodology point of view to ultimately impact really good quality results, research results. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there, Seema. I mean, the, the, the industry, what's interesting about that is that 
you know, the industry has changed so much since, since I started on the client side doing mail surveys and phone surveys. And I remember doing my first internet survey in something like 1998. Right. The industry has really, truly changed so much. I mean, fundamentally, what you're trying to do in any research project is to understand the behavior of a population from a smaller group of people, right? And, but the way of doing that these days and the way... The, the many techniques that we have, the way all of it gets put together, the way people are using it and operationalizing it is, is completely changed. I completely agree with you. And so what do you see, you know, you mentioned even in the last 10 years, I would say the sample landscape has changed dramatically. How do you dissect the industry? Do, what are the real big drivers of change in our industry from your perspective? I think that the thing that's driving change the most, definitely from a sample point of view, mm-hmm. is the fact that that everything has gone digital. Everything that we want people to do these days has a digital component to it. I mean, even if there's still off, you know, there's still an offline world that's out there. Sure. So much of what we do is digital. And the the effort to try to attract people's attention and get them to do something, whether that is to buy a product or to to do a survey, all that happens online and it happens at a massive scale. I mean, it, you, you know, there are companies, there are, there are millions of companies that are spending billions of dollars trying to operate in a digital world. Right. And we operate in that same world, whether we like it or not. And mm-hmm. so it's really fundamentally transformed what we have to do. You know, it, it's transformed everything, certainly in the sample process, particularly recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are still probably living in a, a they probably have a very dated perspective on on how all that works. And and on the other end, when clients are, are trying to take the data that they've learned, they don't want to sit there and read a PowerPoint. They want to actually then go and execute that. And so I think you're seeing, what's interesting is I think you're seeing the endpoints really drive change towards the middle. And right now, probably the biggest stressors are on uh, the agencies to, to transform themselves and, and react to that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if if we just think about how many times as consumers we're targeted with different offers and campaigns, and then you know, as 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 panel companies, we're trying to recruit these people, and we have to be just as strong, if not better, to capture the attention of these consumers. And it's it's a different it's a different competency in some ways because you got to get a lot more creative and really drive that engagement. I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's one of the interesting things. You know, I. I I wrote about this actually before I joined P2 Sample. I was still at Ipsos and I wrote an article that appeared in Green Book called The Future of Panel. And, and I made the argument that we really needed to start to appreciate the importance of engaging a respondent because you know, look where we are now. There are transactions that get made in milliseconds and you know, everything that we do to try to attract that respondent to participate in the survey is operating in that environment. And we're competing against social media, we're competing against news media stories, we're competing against games and, and, and other diversions and entertainment. And fundamentally, that's, that's, that's what drives what we need to do. I mean, it, it's changed the way that people recruit. I mean, you, you think about it, and I would make the argument that, um, that these sort of traditional research-only panels right. are dead. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. they're, they're dead. And, and why are they dead? It's because it doesn't provide enough value. And what's mm-hmm. happening now is that um, companies, P2 Sample included, are figuring out how to attract people at scale 
attract them in real time, get them to take a survey, have a, have a positive experience, manage that experience so that they're not punished through the survey process and, and be able to, you know, to, to go find them again when they're out there in the digital sphere. And what's your take on this? You know, you said the traditional research panels don't exist or, or, they're, or they're dwindling, I guess, in terms of their existence. We have these definitions that we put on ourselves as an industry in terms of double opt-in panel versus river versus, I don't know, other definitions. What's your take on the, the definitional landscape that we use to say this is good and this is not so good as it relates to sampling? That's a, it's a huge one to unpack. Let me start from what I think is the worst part about it. And that is that those terms are, gosh, they're probably 12 years old now. If we kind yeah. of go back to the original days of what people called river sample. Yep. So, you know, f- for whatever reason, double opt-in panels were considered the gold standard. Now, you know, never you mind that, you know, we all sort of turned our noses up at, at online research when we first started doing it 10 years before, but you know, let's say double opt-in panels were the gold standard. And that was, you know, that was how we recruited people to participate. And then River came along because panels, panel participation started to decline in the face of social media and other, other interesting things to do online. Um, River came along and that was just sort of random people turning up. And right. that wasn't so good either. What we liked about that was speed and expense, but mm-hmm. we didn't like the quality of that. And, and what I think now most people don't understand is that neither of those terms adequately describes what's actually happening right now. I mean, I, I just think of, I, I'll use the example from, from us, which is that we have, we do have traditional double opt-in panels. We also opt people in and recruit them at a massive scale directly from digital suppliers. We capture PII from them. So that's immediately, that's not River. Right. And put them through a battery of fraud detection and, and mm-hmm. you know, manage their respondent experience. And, and you know, we, we, we go and we do our own research on research to, to make sure that we're delivering broad, diverse audiences who are producing good data. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're sort of this mix these days. It's, it's, and it's, I think it's hard for people because they don't really understand or they're operating with a dated perspective. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think those definitions sometimes people reach to them for comfort, but you know, what's happening in the industry is is so much different from what those definitions actually allow for. The other thing I think is interesting is that you know, if we talked about sample 10 to 15 years ago, it was kind of like, oh, who cares about the sample? And and what's exciting is that a lot more people care about it because it is fundamentally the backbone of what research provides. And so it's nice to have these conversations and give the importance that's required to finally acknowledge that sample is a really important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I I agree with you. And unfortunately, I think the conversations have been pretty negative these days. But I think there's a lot, there's actually a lot of reason to be optimistic about sample. We actually, we have an ebook coming out talking about this and, and we're calling it sort of the new reality of online sample. There, there are a lot of things that people are doing to control quality, particularly on the, the supplier side, right? And it's not every company that's doing it, but there are more and more people who are recognizing that in order to have a healthy business, and in order to produce good data, there are plenty of things that sample suppliers can do in order to, to, to create these better outcomes. And that, yep. you know, there, there are some that are even 
you know, getting into starting to sort of blur the lines between research and marketing and getting mm-hmm. into activation and things like that. I mean, it's, it's a pretty exciting time. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of room to change and to grow and and blend different disciplines in the process too. So talk to me, P2 Sample has had launched their P2 Solo product and tell us what's some new and exciting things that are going on at P2 Sample. I'd be happy to. Uh, I think the most exciting thing that we've been doing over the past, now it's probably two years, is adding artificial intelligence into what we do. The first way we did that was we, we did it um, for our fraud detection. You might imagine we use all of the standard techniques that, that people use to, to try to detect fraud, address validation, captures, honeypots, trick questions, and right. all sorts of things, right? But using AI, one of the, the interesting things about that was that it allowed us by kind of showing the machine what fraud was initially and using machine learning algorithms, what that gave us was a dynamic ability to detect different types of fraud that would evolve. Okay. And, and that's been a real game changer for us. You know, today it might be, you know, we might have 150 uh, Hispanic women who earn $200,000 a year who register from the state of Florida. That's pretty unlikely, right? right. Tomorrow it might be teenage boys. I'm just making examples there. Sure. But, uh, but th- that's one thing. Um, a- another super interesting thing is how we we manage the collision between the respondent and the survey. We, we do it backwards from the rest of the industry. And that is rather than looking at the surveys and, and trying to figure out which respondents would match to them, mm-hmm. we start with the respondents that are in our network that are available right now and try to find a survey that they're most likely to complete given the, both the qualification criteria and what we know about their historical completions. For example, we know if we know Seema that you're very busy during the week and you only complete five to ten minute studies, but you might do a twenty minute study on the weekend. Right. We can actually uh, our AI can actually detect that and make sure that we don't give you a twenty minute study during the week. There, there's all sorts of really very interesting cool. ways that we're using it, um, and it's all designed. It's all fundamentally designed to improve. The respondent experience and the, the, there's a simple metric we use for that and that's conversion rate right? right i mean you know there's we can all talk about incidents but mm-hmm. incidents can be a fiction sometime depending on the client it's simply you know how many people completed versus how many people started because that's the respondent wants to complete a survey when they start that's what they need right and so anything that we can do to optimize that is, is what we need to do very interesting and so i i know you know, obviously this, the additional technology, the, the different orientation in terms of recruitment and project management, what, what do you think, how, do, how is the operations function changing in this new landscape from your perspective? That's a really fascinating one. It's, it's actually, it's a, an issue that's near and dear to my heart, given the fact that um, I managed global sample operations for, right. for years. I mean, I, I think it's, it's fundamentally transformed. I mean, we, there's there's so many things that our systems do that are completely automated. I mean, there's nobody has to pull reports anymore, mm-hmm. right? The system will alert us if if sample isn't filling properly. So what we've what we've been doing, we've been doing two things. One is we've been able to train our teams on higher level problem solving. You know, when when there is a problem, figuring out what's going on. How to solve for it, right. How to solve for it and being able to engage with the client. Because that's, I mean, that's really what we want the humans to do, right? Sure. We don't want reports. 
we want them engaging in, in high value things. But the other thing is, I mean, a significant portion of our business is, is programmatic. It's, it's automated, right? There's nobody who needs to take a bid or set anything up in the system. It comes in automatically. And so what we've done is we've, we've started to train our operations team to be able to troubleshoot problems in an API. So that let's say for whatever reason, you know, we're, we're doing a study and we notice that the drop-off rate is high. And why is that? Well, it's because there's this custom profile question that the client is using and we don't have that mapped to our, our profile question in our database. And so our operations people will recognize that and we actually give them the tools to do the mapping on the fly so we don't have to have a developer intervene. And they can go solve that problem while the study is in field and, and, and actually, you know, instead of then blasting, you know, we're blasting sample into a black hole, right. they, they actually significantly improve the conversion rate and that's a better outcome for everyone. So it's, um, it's a transformation in terms of, of skills and, you know, it's also interesting too. I mean, yeah. it, it gives people new and interesting things to do and, and being able to, to kind of analyze what's happening in an automated transaction is certainly not a skill that's going to go away or lose importance in the next few years, is it? No, not at all. And, and I liken that to full service research where so much of the time historically has been to put the reports together, to put the data together. And now that that's being automated and more, you know, driven by technology, it's, it's, it's those, those resources now can add more value to the, the insights and they can problem solve and diagnose. So it's exciting, I think, for people. They, they get to work um, with a, a different level of kind of mindset as they're problem solving uh, some of these solutions. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not everybody's, you know, wants to do that type of transition. Sure. But we've right. actually, I mean, we've we've seen it be very successful in our team. I mean, we've added a, a couple of people recently, not because we need more project managers on our team, but because this month alone we'll add another four APIs connections and you know, all of those things. They're living you know, an API is a living and breathing thing. You can yeah. You can set up the endpoints, but then you've got to map the data and then you've got to make sure that it's, it's it stays mapped and yeah. it stays, you know, it's working and, yep. and you optimize it because mm-hmm. all of that is beneficial both for the respondent and for our business. So true. You can't set and forget it. No, <laughs> no. It'd be great no. if you could though. <laughs> it, would. it would be great. And, and how do you think business development is changing? Um, or is it? In terms of uh, you know in this in the in the world of um, automation, you know I, I think I mean I, I kind of have two perspectives on that. One of them is that I still think fundamentally that the business developer for a business developer to be truly successful, they have to understand how the client does its business and be able to speak to them about how they're going to help them make money. You know, I can't put it any more bluntly than that. I mean, when you're when you're an a, an agency person and you're trying to work with a brand or something like that, understanding how they operate has got to be critical. You know, you can't just deliver a PowerPoint. I think we all know that. Yes. I, I think what's interesting in the sample world, and even still to some extent in the agency world, is that what the automation is doing is you have kind of large platforms and people are getting used to kind of making connections. And one of the interesting things about that is 
you know, we can make, uh, we can make an API connection to a multinational company and all of a sudden have business in 25 different countries. Whereas previously in the world of manual sample, we would have had to land bodies in different regions. Right. You know, that's a, it's a really different sales process right now. I think, you know, I mean, it's, you still have to kind of convince people that you're doing the right thing and that your, you know, your product or your service is right for their business. But then there's a kind of a technical conversation and and understanding how they need to operate and making sure that, that you can meet those needs in order to do that. So there's, there's a, there's a, I think more technical competence, but certainly one of the benefits is that, um, you don't have to spend as much time and take as much risk opening up offices either. I think it's, it's, um, it's something, especially with a decrease in the price of, of travel or or doing things like this, where we're doing, you know, online conferences. Right. It's uh, I think you still need to meet people personally, but it becomes a lot easier to do in a world of automation. I I agree with that. I mean, I do, I do believe that that face to face, contact and relationship building is important, but I don't think it has to be throughout the entire sales process, right? It could be you meet a person, you understand their needs, and then the rest of that could happen similar to what we're doing right now through online conference. But that that initial connection and trust seems to be really important. I agree. I mean, that's something actually that became really apparent to me uh, when I first started working in Europe. I would make sort of the general observation that business is a lot more personal here. Nobody's going to business with you unless you turn up and, and you sit face to face from them and, you know, ideally have a meal or a coffee or a drink or something like Mm -hmm. that to to get to know each other. So JD, you shared with me that you are pursuing a personal hobby of singing. (laughs) I love it. I love, I I did share that. I did share that. Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, I love when we're all busy people, we all, you know, have personal lives, kids, whatever. And I think it's so important that we still do things outside of work that enrich our lives. So tell us just a little bit about what made you decide to kind of take lessons and pursue your music. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, so in all seriousness, one of the things that I, that I realized, uh, I realized this is probably about 10 years ago when I, when I first came to Europe is that I need a creative outlet. Okay. Um, I, I do like, I, I do like my work. I mean, you know, nobody I don't, I don't think grows yeah. up and says, I want to be a market researcher, but you know, I, I do like my work and I, I do like the industry, but sure. I need an outlet. And right. you know, I've, I played piano when I was a kid and sang in a choir when I was a kid, but you know, all of a sudden the opportunity came to, to sing in a choir when I was over here. And so I, Pursued it, and it happens that the director of my choir uh, is also a professional singer uh, and musician. And uh, he pulled me aside one night and he said, you know, um, (laughs) you have the potential to have a really great voice. I don't usually do this, but would you, you know, if, if you want to take lessons, I would be happy to do that with you. And so, you know, I sort of yeah, I was sort of like, okay, well, you know, let's try this for a little bit. And it really, it really opened some doors. I mean, I, I've listened to music of all different genres my entire life. Right. But I've just become sort of smitten by all sorts of different sort of vocal, classical vocals and things like that. Everything from art song and melodies to to operas. I've always been a big fan of Broadway as well. And, and 
So what's been really interesting is having professional training for a couple of years. I've really seen an improvement and to the point where other people are seeing an improvement as well. I mean, I'm going to do a masterclass in a couple of weeks with my coach, which is opening another door, which I found just completely unexpected. Wow. So, so it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's not easy to do. Right. Um, I have two kids. I work with an American-based company, which mm-hmm. means in addition to needing to wake up and get people ready for school at 7 a.m. in Paris time, right. I probably need to be on a phone call at 8 o'clock at night. Now, I mean, I, I bought the ticket. I'm taking the ride. I understand what I need to do. And, mm-hmm. and so it, you know, it just means that I have to be careful in managing my commitments and in managing my time on a daily basis so that everything is is operating more or less as it needs to. I think it's great. I think pursuing of hobbies and just learning, like it it never ends. And uh, so I congratulate you for that. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today, JD. I look forward to having you back soon. That's great, Seema. Thank you very much for having me. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.